Hello, beauty and education podcasters. Upcoming, I have one of my favorite episodes that I got to do for an interview with Professor Kell of the Red River Valley Writing Project and, of course, um, the North Dakota State University. Um, In this podcast, we talk about a multitude of subjects such as keeping education dollars in our state of North Dakota, um, the results of technology in education, some of the incredible educators that we have right here in North Dakota that we could draw from. She is a wealth of information, and I just know you're going to enjoy this podcast. Be well. Welcome to Beauty in Education. From the Square Butte of North Dakota, I am your host, Lisa Goosewell. This is season one of Beauty in Education, and it is focused on sharing with North Dakota teachers opportunities for some excellent professional development. Let's welcome our guest from the Red River Valley Writing Project, Professor Kel Sassi. Kel, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? So I have been a professor at NDSU since 2008, and I'm a former high school English teacher. I taught English at West Valley High School, Go Wolfpack in Fairbanks, Alaska for six years, and um, studied for my PhD at the University of Michigan. Why leave Alaska? It seems beautiful there. I mean, there's bears, so that's a detractor, but it's beautiful there. Why leave? It's beautiful there, but you know, it's just so warm and sunny during winter in North Dakota that, you know, I just (laughs) enjoy that. No, actually it's colder in Fargo than Fairbanks on many winter days. You know, I tried to tell my students that and they thought that I was lying. I was like, no, for real, because the ocean brings in warm weather and sometimes it's warmer in the Arctic than it is in North Dakota. They still don't believe me, but maybe a professor saying it, (laughs) they (laughs) will now buy in. I'll text you next time. We're having one of those really cold days here and then they're enjoying these nice balmy temperatures. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you have some friends there that'll be sun tanning on that day. (laughs) Send us that. Can you tell us a little bit about what the Red River Valley Writing Project is? Yeah, thank you for that question, Lisa. It can be hard to define because it's so different from other professional development organizations. So I'll start by saying this, that the Red River Valley Writing Project is one of about 180 sites of the National Writing Project. And the National Writing Project um, started in 1974 in Berkeley, California, or at the University of California, Berkeley. And it was a grassroots movement to respond to some of the research coming out at that time, like why Johnny can't read, um, that really um, was trying to paint a deficit picture of American school children. And teachers said, hey, we're the ones on the front lines with these kids. We know how to fix this. You know, the expertise is with us. And so they started gathering together in summers to pool the best practices that they had for um, improving literacy. And that model was so successful that it just grew across the whole nation over um, the decades. And the site in North Dakota that I'm affiliated with started in 1999 at the University of North Dakota. And then it moved down to North Dakota State University in 2014. So I've been co-director or director of that site for over 10 years. Yeah, and you were the one that got me involved. Um, I remember I was, I think I was in my third year teaching and I was, very close to burning out. Every spring I was checking the um, wanted, job wanted ads (laughs) and seeing like, okay, is there any job that I can qualify for outside of teaching? And um, you reached out to me with the opportunity of going back to school for my master's. 
And then we're like, you should check out the Red River Valley Writing Project Summer Institute. It's four weeks long. It's Monday through Friday. You're looking at about eight to ten hours of time spent in a classroom, either listening to other teachers, reading a book, or presenting in front of another teacher's. And I was thinking, whoa, hey, I, I'm burned out from teaching. And here you're giving me this opportunity to do more of it. Yet that made all the difference in the world. Yeah, I really, I think I remember those days, Lisa, because didn't you write me for a recommendation to, um, what were they like, be a rodeo clown um, or start a capybara farm? Um, there are some really interesting job ads you were looking at at that time. Actually, now that you mention it, I think I do want to go back and uh, apply for those jobs. So um, this is not unusual. I also was a very burned out teacher, burned out too quickly when you're really trying to teach writing in that way that's handcrafted, that responds to individual student needs. It is very easy to burn out and it's so important to reconnect. Um, with other teachers and to share expertise and ideas and best practices. Um, and also um, to provide support, you know, having that um, support system as a teacher is so important. So a couple of fun facts about the National Writing Project. One, it is the longest running professional development organization in the United States, you know, continuously running, very cool. Second, it is the only professional development organization that focuses on the teaching of writing. And as you know, writing is an important skill for every single one of us. Um, whatever job we have, um, whatever um, we go into, we're going to need good writing skills. In fact, I had um, a pre-service teacher last night in my class say, um, my husband's a cop, my dad's a cop, cops write so much and they realized they needed that really good writing instruction um, way back um, in high school earlier to develop the skills they need for, for being on the job. So many jobs that we don't think about it, engineering is one too. Um, students just need to have really good writing skills to be successful in those careers. So as teachers, um, that's something that is not unique to English language arts. So writing project sites serve teachers in all disciplines. We have art teachers, social studies teachers, PE teachers, um, kindergarten teachers, college teachers. So we um, work with teachers um, at all levels and in all disciplines because writing is the one thing that we share in common as a concern. So when we're talking about developing our writing skills, there are pieces of my life that I better understand because of the writing instruction that I was given through the Red River Valley Writing Project. And I've been with the writing project for six years now, and I'm still discovering ways that it has changed how I view things now, when I am assembling my child's kitchen set, I don't just pick up a piece and am immediately looking at the directions to figure out, okay, how does this go in there? I'm now much more capable of being an independent thinker where I can pick up a piece from the kitchen set and start considering what is this piece's function? And a lot of people wouldn't consider that as part of that writing skill. But as writers, we are given all of these different resources that we can potentially use for our writing. So when I'm looking at writing an essay, I'm thinking about, okay, which research article do I want? Who do I want to include into this writing? And how am I going to use it to tell a story to readers to help them best understand the topic that I am trying to address? The other thing that you mentioned that I really appreciate you bringing up is that support that other teachers are giving each other. 
in college when I had the opportunity to build up my skills along with the other English education teachers, it was more of a competitive environment. We weren't really there to support one another and help our um, understanding of the material or even teaching strategies. It was very much, we want to be the best. And that was not at all the experience that I had when I came to the writing project. It wasn't a competition. It was, hey, we're all here ready to improve and get better so that when we get back to our classrooms, we're going to better be able to help our students achieve. I think, thank you for sharing that, Lisa. I think you put your finger on two really important parts of the writing project philosophy. So the first one, you know, not feeling that you belonged or that you were in a competitive environment um, and, you know, experiencing the collaborative and supportive environment of the writing project. I want to talk about where that really comes from, because um, I don't know about you, but when I was a high school teacher, I experienced a lot of top-down professional development. So, and in Alaska, this is especially apparent because they would fly in these experts from the lower 48 to tell us how to do our jobs. And then they would fly away. And then we'd still be left with the same challenges and um, not necessarily many um, ongoing supports for dealing with those challenges. So um, the way that the writing project is different is it's not top down. And you've mentioned a couple of times how you've been involved with the writing project for several years now. And that's because what the writing project is, is it's a teacher's teaching teacher's model. And so what that means is we um, recruit and attract um, bright, engaged, enthusiastic teachers into our summer institute. Or burned out teachers. Or burned out teachers, <laughs> teachers who need a lift, but you know, they've got a lot going for them. And then we invest in those teachers and then we um, help them to um, share out through teaching demonstrations, their expertise with others. And we kind of workshop those best practices that each teacher has with the idea that they can then bring that into um, PD at their district or work with one of our larger programs like C3WP, which we can talk about in a little bit. Um, but the whole idea is that we're there to invest in you build you up, give you leadership skills, help you grow your career, and then benefit other teachers. So um, when it's working well, it's a super sustainable model for professional development. And teachers feel respected and valued because it is not a top-down approach. I think and it that was also my first time as a teacher feeling valued. I'm not lying to you. Uh, no, I've heard this from other people too. And I have also experienced that Yeah, to um, have your expertise valued. It means so much in a profession that oftentimes is underpaid and under-respected in our society, but yet um, requires a great deal of intelligence, hard work, perseverance, emotional intelligence, um, and heart um, from the people who are engaged in it. So um, yeah, I, I just, I, I love that feeling of the writing project. You know, another thing that you said that reflects back to our philosophy is you said, I feel like I've grown as a writer. So this is another um, belief that we have in the writing project. And that is that in order to be a good teacher of writing, we should be writers. There's no other, um, subject area or discipline where we would expect somebody to teach something that they don't actually do. Like imagine if you had someone who doesn't play sports at all teaching basketball or coaching basketball, or imagine if you had somebody in the band room who didn't know how to play any of the instruments. Um, it just wouldn't work, right? So um, we believe that the same is true of writing. And we're so busy during the academic year that it can be very hard for teachers to spend time developing their own writing practice. So along with teaching demonstrations in the Summer Institute, we make sure that there's time for teachers to reconnect with their own identity as writers. So many opportunities 
to write together, to share writing, to be inspired by writing. Um, everybody brings different prompts every day. We're all keeping a notebook. Um, we mine that notebook for um, developing some pieces. And so building that teacher confidence, and especially think of, you know, like that math teacher who doesn't consider um, himself or herself a writer, um, but in the Summer Institute, they get to write and grow their writing and develop confidence. With that confidence, they're much more likely to give their students the opportunity to write in the classroom. And students need more opportunities to write. All the research has shown that um, students need opportunities, not just in English class, but in every class, they need to be able to practice without it being high stakes. Um, we would never ask anybody to play in a basketball game without going to all the practices first. Um, so why would we expect someone to do a big high stakes essay without many, many small um, low stakes opportunities to practice? So thank you through your own story for touching on those parts of writing project philosophy that we hold so dear. You know, I just wanna add this in too, cause I started my doctorate program and that's what um, why this podcast was created was for one of my doctorate program classes. And I'm taking 10 doctorate credits and I'm teaching full-time and it's like a cakewalk for me. They just give me like a whole two chapters to read out of my thick um, legal research. And I'm like, okay, I'm ready to read. And then they're like, all right, you need to write a seven to 10 page paper. I'm like, it's done. Here you go. And um, I've been a month ahead throughout the entire semester while other awesome. students are turning things in late or are like, what's, how are you doing this? <laughs> um, how, how did you manage to read Neil Selwine's Is Technology Good for Education when that was a tough book to read? Let me tell you, it was like rubbing salt in my eyes, but also <laughs> it was very good because um, he hits on this topic that I think is starting to get involved into the writing world and maybe not a good way where technology is starting to take the teacher's place in analyzing student writing and analyzing student quality. And so you're not having a human grading it anymore. And that's a big problem that I currently <laughs> have with the North Dakota State Assessment. So Neil Selwine, if you were to ever listen to this, I love you, your research is very important, but uh, it was similar to rubbing salt in my eye for about 200 pages there. <laughs> um, but yeah, the North, I don't know if you know this, but the North Dakota State Assessment that they have um, grades through three through, I think 11 take, um, the students have to write an essay for it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that essay is scored by a computer. And I got back my results one year when I was, I was doing a very dedicated job of looking over my students' shoulders while they were writing. And I'm like, there's a claim. Here is some integrated sources. Oh, they're commenting on the sources. This is a fully fleshed out thought. And yet every single one of my students received a score of two out of four on the assessment. And I thought that was highly suspect. So I called the state of North Dakota and I was like, okay, tell me, how is it possible that all of my students got a two? I know that they had all of these great qualities and they're like, well, we'll send you the rubric that the computer uses to score mm -hmm. the document. And I'm like, oh, so does, do any teachers or humans, do they read through the essays? No, they don't. And I'm like, <laughs> so uh <-huh>. here I am. <laughs> getting my students to write this essay where they're putting a bunch of their energy, a bunch of their thought, they're trying to make it as meaningful as possible as they can. And we're not even showing them the respect of having a human look over their writing. And yeah, I've been following this wrong. issue, Lisa. Yeah, um, you know, I, I looked at this when I was a doctoral student as well. And at that point, the computer grading systems really weren't um, covering very much at all um, in all of the things that we look at in a piece of writing. Um, and they have developed um, some, but they still tend to address um, what we know as the lower order concerns in writing, right? Higher order concerns are ideas and content, organization, voice, 
whereas computer systems are best at looking at lower order concerns, um, word choice, sentence structure, writing conventions. And um, I, have, I have read articles uh, about this, you know, in the research and um, the computer grading, while it's much more sophisticated than it was 15 years ago, it's still subpar and doesn't do the same job that a human grader can do. Writing is complex. It has many, many facets to it. And it's not just the presence or absence or correctness or incorrectness of any one quality, but how all of those qualities work together. And that really takes a human being to ascertain and uh, a trained um, human being who really understands writing. And you know the what you've pointed to here with testing um, is part of a larger problem of high stakes testing, accountability testing in our country, which is an experiment, right, of the last um, couple of decades. And this month's issue of American Educator really takes it to task and says, you know, this has only resulted in uh, very uh, slight gains in um, performance. Um, I think only one grade, like fourth grade math or something, has a very, very tiny, like tenth of a percent improvement. So our high stakes accountability testing system has not resulted in the improvement that we want in the field of education. And so I really um, feel that there is a movement coming to go back to valuing teachers, their knowledge and expertise, and using that to gauge you know, how students can grow and develop. And also bringing in all of those elements that really can't be tested um, about the whole child. So yeah, computer testing is a problem for uh, writing one, and then it's part of a larger system that's problematic too. Yeah, because um, I think about why aren't we asking North Dakota teachers to look over the student writing? And I think it goes back to that problem that you mentioned when you were at Fairbanks in Alaska. Oh, let's bring in these outside experts or let's bring in this latest technology. And I think that is a devaluing of the expertise that you have within your own state when you're looking for a robot to take over when it is a higher order thinking task when you're evaluating something like writing or um, bringing in these outside sources who don't really know your area. And I think that's part of the reason that uh, the National Writing Projects with all of its sites, they make sure like Red River Valley Writing Projects named after the Red River Valley and the Northern Plains Writing Project that's in Minot State, that's operating out of Minot State College is named Northern Plains because they recognize, yes, we are a national organization, but nationally, we don't know those teachers in that particular place. And then I think, wow, it's so important to name that place and to give credit to the people in that geographical region. You got it exactly. It's, um, it's a beautiful balance between having access to national resources, but maintaining local control over how the professional development unfolds. And that allows writing project sites to respond to local needs. So you've um, mentioned a couple of times um, in our interview how isolated you often feel as a rural teacher or that you're the only English teacher in your school. And that's, that's common across the state. So um, one of the things that the former director, Dr. Kim Donahauer at UND sought to do was to provide summer institutes specifically for rural teachers, to bring those rural teachers together and connect them with each other, provide a network of support. So that's something that um, our writing project focuses on that the writing project um, based in New York City doesn't have to focus on. They have other kinds of local issues that they're dealing with. And each site is different from the other, but we all have access to the same national resources and we just choose to, to take different parts of that. Um, another local emphasis of our writing project site is partnering with tribal members um, within our state boundaries. So, you know, we have several native nations and um, 
we make ourselves available to, but don't assume that we have the answers for the educational needs of Native American students. And um, we've worked on multiple um, seed grants, which is supporting excellent educator development at Standing Rock, at Circle of Nations School, and at Turtle Mountain. And um, it's imperative that we work um, with uh, tribal citizens and helping them to uh, achieve their own goals and figure out which, which resources to leverage um, to best help them meet their goals. And now you personally have spent a lot of time with the Standing Rock area and as well the Turtle Mountain region that's just bordering North Dakota with um, Dunseith and Belcourt and then Canada. Can you tell us a little bit about the very incredible things that you have been working with um, them on in those two areas? Sure. So um, it's here's a, a great story of building teacher leaders. So um, a teacher leader from the Northern Plains Project um, partnered with me. We were invited to Standing Rock to work with teachers there on writing assessment. And we got a grant that went to Minot State University, but I led the project. And then I worked with one of their teacher leaders and one of our teacher leaders in collaboration um, with the folks at Standing Rock. And then from that experience of working together for two years in PD, then one of those teacher leaders, a middle school teacher um, from the Standing Rock Reservation partnered with us to work at Circle of Nations. When we were at Circle of Nations, then we brought in Dr. Denise Lodgemadir, who is a Turtle Mountain tribal member, and she led a poetry workshop for youth. And when she saw the um, vibrant writing that students were doing um, in the program that we were involved in there, she said, I want this for my reservation. So then there was an invitation to go there. So we like to go when invited and not like, um, you know, impose ourselves on tribal members. And so she invited us, we created this teen art and writing workshop, and I'm actually pulling together about five years of student poetry into an anthology for that right now. And there have been just some amazing writers come out of Turtle Mountain. Obviously, it's famous for Louise Erdrich and her sisters Hyde and Lise, who are also well-published writers. And then more, more recently, the breakout young adult novel, um, or I should say middle grade novel, Apple in the Middle, is by Don Quigley, who is another Turtle Mountain tribal member. And there just seems to be so much creativity and writing um, among the people there. And so after working with the youth for a while, then we asked um, if the teachers would like us to work with them, because they were telling us, we're really noticing from the summer program that the students are coming into the fall with some strong writing skills. So we'd like to know more about what you do. And so that started the whole C3WP um, three-year project there, which stands for College Career and Community Writers Program. And Lisa, you're one of our teacher leaders in that program. So I know you can speak to what that program does. Well, essentially what it does is it teaches teachers how to give students the space to form their own voice and their own thoughts. And I thought that I was doing that prior to that C3WP program, but I, I realize now having went through and having to struggle through that change in teaching method that I, I hadn't been. Um, that I had been really overvaluing my voice and undervaluing what the students' thoughts, opinions, and where they draw their sources from had been. And I think that just speaks to um, how being involved with the writing project produces a respect between teachers, but then it also increases the respect between teachers and students. Um, and mm -hmm. it reminds me of that book, uh, you, you have to feed the teachers or they're going to eat the students. <laughs> I don't remember <laughs> the exact title, but um, yeah, I, I hadn't realized that what I was doing in the classroom had been disrespectful or 
just like waiting for them to arrive on my opinion until I had undergone um, the writing project magic of, okay, we're going to try to shift your teaching methodology into something you're not used to. It's going to feel weird. You're going to be really uncomfortable, maybe for months, <laughs> maybe a year. We don't know. Um, but it is that invitation, like you said, inviting a teacher to participate, not forcing them, being respectful of where they are in their place and their um, expertise as educators and just working together. Um, because I, I hadn't realized that if you really wanna develop a strong teacher core, um, the leader has to be as much the student as the students need to be as much as the leader. Um, and that, that, takes, that takes a while to adjust, I think, in our very patriarchal society where it is, I'm at the front of the room, you're sitting down, you're listening, <laughs> you got to be very quiet because I can't, <laughs> I got to be on topic on mine, okay, no switching of the topics. And yeah, it, it's, it's very much a conversation, which that's, that's what the C3WP is. It's teaching conversations. Like I'm going to have a conversation with this billboard <laughs> or this song or this student with writing. Um, and yeah, it's just, uh, it was a cool attitude change that I hadn't realized that I had made until I realized that the writing project had tricked me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, sometimes it's it's a journey. These are not quick little changes to practice that you can learn in a one hour you know, workshop one day, right? It's about um, sustained attention to our practice, trying out new things, studying how students respond to it, using that information to make additional changes to our classroom practice, questioning ourselves, risk-taking. And, you know, in order to take on those things, we have to create a safe environment for teachers to do that. And um, that's why that support part of the writing project is so important. Um, people aren't willing to take risks or do new things if they're not feeling supported in doing it. And I just, I learned about a lot about argument writing through being involved in C3WP. Um, for example, I still catch myself saying that there are two sides of something, a pro and a con. Whereas um, the way that argument writing is taught with a multiplicity of source-based texts from um, different perspectives is there are always multiple ways of looking at a complex issue. And what's important is to be able to read those source texts critically to be able to discern what someone's stance is and then think about how we perceive the issue and then interrogate another source text and then allow ourselves to change our thinking based on new information that we get. And those quite frankly are some of the basic skills of participating as a citizen in a democracy. So um, the C3WP program is just key to really why we are in the field of education. Um, one of the purposes of the greater project that we're all involved in as teachers. So that's something that I really appreciate, appreciate about the program and um, continue, you know, continue to learn about. And I think that's what's unique, right? It's not just focusing on college and career. Because I, I, I have looked at a lot of other um, things that are being offered. And what's unique here is that it's that community. Um, you know, I might not go to college. I might not be in a career. But I'm probably going to want to be involved in some type of community if I want to have some amount of meaningful life, whether that's a community um, on my Reddit moms group or it's a community that you build through World of Warcraft. There is something about being part of a community that if you want to be a good member, you have to do that extra um, looking into those differences of opinion because uh -huh. sometimes you, you're like, how can you believe that? 
And um, if you respect that person, you will understand, okay, this, this thought that they have that seems very crazy to me must have came from somewhere. Where did it come from? And that's the other trick that the writing project does to you. It makes you have to talk a lot more and listen a lot more and read a lot more. <laughs> and yeah, you come in, you're like, all right, I'm just going to write some really cool essays. But no, they trap you into doing lots of reading. <laughs> and um, you're in these conversations and they're not easy conversations. They make you feel very uncomfortable because um it's not that it's um like a fake politeness where we disagree um but I'm just gonna act like I do agree just to get this conversation over with it challenges you to be assertive on asking questions on why they think that way and then adding your own voice into that conversation um, and it really just speaks to the kind of level that you have to be ready for when you're part of the writing project. It's like, all right, you were living in this non-conflict area for a very long time. Maybe you had some private thoughts. Um, maybe you had some angry journal entries, but now we're going <laughs> to require you to engage on a level with these other people and they're going to have their level increased. And it, it's a very rewarding experience. It's a lot like working out. Um, <laughs> that's how it feels. Like, okay, this is our college level sport is the writing project. <laughs> yeah, I think you got that right. Um, that it's not a place for passivity. And um, it encourages um, teachers. I mean, we're professionals, right? But we don't often get the opportunity to um, lead our profession. And so um, very quickly, I think, you know, people are in an environment, like you said, where it's, uh, it's a very rich literacy environment with a lot of reading, writing, thinking, talking. Um, but there's also that, that deep level of engaging with, we all are responsible for um, where this profession goes. And so there's quite a bit of activism that comes out of it. Like even um, the students in Montana, remember Casey Olson's students? Um, rural Montana, um, they didn't have um, the kind of health care that they needed, and they learned some argument writing skills in C3WP, um, started taking action to make sure that they could get some um, mobile health care um, to their region, and they did it. The students did it with the support of their teacher. And I think, you know, there are a lot of teacher activists in the writing project as well. Many of us do research and publish. Um, I published something with one of our grad students about our work with C3WP. And, um, you know, of course, I hope Lisa will publish her master's thesis work because it's so awesome. It's gonna happen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, so we, we encourage um, teachers to become public with their practice too. So that's a part of it as well. And the new teacher studio um, in the National Writing Project site is allowing us to do more and more of that kind of thing. Can you tell us a bit about the teacher studio that the National Writing Project has created? And I'm so yeah. thankful that they did because they used to have Yammer and I really liked Yammer, but this yeah. teacher studio is great. Can you yes. tell us about this? Yeah, basically it's an online platform for teachers to connect with each other. So you can connect like with and within your own writing project site, or you can connect across um, areas of interest. So for example, I started a Scholastic Art and Writing Awards affiliate um, area group um, within Teacher Studio. So all of the sites around the country who are hosting that program can share ideas with each other, ways to reach out to students and make sure that they get recognized for their creative writing. Um, so there's that. And then um, lots of leaders within the writing project are um, sending out e-blasts, you know, with things they're reading. It's like, it's like Twitter, Facebook, Yammer, and um, a website kind of all rolled into one. It's, um, we're building a very rich resource base there. 
there's a lot going on every day. And then there are lots of things that you can um, research and get resources for as well. So yeah, Teacher Studio is super cool. Is that where you started developing your idea for um, the project that you did this summer where you encouraged these youth from across the nation to get together to do some um, writing prompts. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. Is that where that idea came from? So you're talking about Right Across America. That's what and, it's called, yes. Yes, yes. So Right Across America um, was actually a collaboration among a few site directors who were dealing with the pandemic, right? So suddenly we were not gonna be able to do our summer institutes face-to-face Face-to-face -face is so important for building community. Um, we do a lot of writing together, writing marathons out in the community as well, um, on the sidewalk, you know, in the parks, around people. So we were like, how are we gonna do this? And um, we just put our heads together and uh, came up with this inquiry question. And that is, can we get the writing marathon, which has been a staple of writing project work for a couple of decades, started by Richard Luth at the Southeastern Louisiana Writing Project um, and based on the work of Natalie Goldberg. And we asked, can we bring the writing marathon into a virtual space? So um, we thought, okay, let's try it. So a bunch of site directors volunteered to host stops, virtual stops on the writing marathon so that writers could travel around the country at each stop, um, there would be some local prompts. So like for Arizona, they had a lot of images of their beautiful national parks with prompts to get people to write and imagine they were visiting Arizona this that week. Um, yeah, so we did that with teachers first and we had um, several hundred people participate. It was super successful. We did a research project on it. And what we found is that um, some of the themes that arose from the coding of our data were first of all, emotion. People felt a lot of emotional connection to writing, to other people and to place. And what was also important were, you know, the, the online um, technology opportunities of being in a virtual place and then the breakout rooms, which allowed teacher writers to connect with each other and, um, and to continue to develop a writerly identity. So we did that again for the second year because we thought COVID would be gone and it wasn't. And we also had people who said, hey, you know, usually I only get to do a writing marathon in my own city. This way I can do it all over the country. And it's such a great way to travel when I really don't feel okay about getting on an airplane. So we did it again, great participation again, new sites with the first year's leaders mentoring the next year's leaders. And then we're like, hey, would this work with teams? Well, um, what we did is we partnered an alum of the Scholastic Art and Writing Program. So a young person who had won an award as a teen, they're now a college student, with a writing project site director. And they collaborated on a stop together, an online stop. We had a thousand teens sign up for this immediately. We totally blew up our Zoom link. Like we had, you know, way too many people um, than the Zoom link would accommodate. And it, it turned out to be an incredibly successful program. And what was also really cool is those alums, they, um, they innovated in ways that I just couldn't even imagine would happen, which is, exactly why we started this whole inquiry, like how could this move to virtual space? Well, they did some fantastic things, especially I have to give props to Julie Dawkins from Oklahoma. She had us do this whole Google Earth swooshing thing that brought us like from hovering above the planet to down into the street level of some of her favorite hangouts in Oklahoma and also learning about Black Wall Street there and um, just really inspirational prompts. And the writing that came out of it just blew me away. Um, the students would post in the chat what they were writing about, and it was it was just incredible. Um, I'm working on an English Journal article right now with Susan Martins and Julie Dawkins, and hopefully we can um, share that out with the world because it it truly was amazing what the students were able to do in that space. And you had invited me, and I had the opportunity to listen to six um, student pieces of work that were 
underneath the flash fiction category of the Scholastic Art and Writing Awards. And um, there was definitely a level of creativity that I think was heightened by the virtual format. And I was surprised because I had just gotten done um, having a school year where 25 of my students were in person, but two of them were online. And I, I, I was concerned. I was like, okay, so these students, they were participating virtually. They don't have their cameras turned on. Uh, are they going to actually have something ready to go to participate? And I don't know what magic you guys did with these alumni and with um, the writing project stops and how you engage them, but those students were far more engaged than my two <laughs> online students. And I wondered if something like that could be adapted into working in that online education perspective um, where, okay, I'm choosing to be an online student because I am concerned about my health. Could I connect nationally with other students and build skills together with them through writing? Like it doesn't have to be visiting a state. You could be visiting different uh, scientific concepts. Um, you'd be visiting mm -hmm. mathematical concepts. And it did start making me do additional thinking because again, I'm a rural teacher in North Dakota no one else was doing online education for sixth grade that I knew of or was able to contact. Think about how much easier it would have been if I could have shared that burden um, in helping those students grow not only their writing abilities, but all of their abilities in science, social studies, and math. Um, yeah, I, I'm really, I'm really, are you guys planning on doing that again? Yes, absolutely. I mean, everybody has said they, they want to do more of that kind of thing. And yeah, I've got a, a meeting set up with Elise, the uh, director of the National Writing Project, and Chris Wisniewski, who is the director of Scholastic Art and Writing Awards, will talk about um, you know, how we can innovate on this innovation and um, keep doing this. Yeah, I, I mean, that's another advantage of the National Writing Project, you know, that network, like, we couldn't have like um, predicted that we would be doing that kind of thing, but because that network is there, there are um, always people to connect with who might want to work with you or have expertise that you need to maybe fill in the blank or put together with some local expertise. And um, yeah, and everybody works so well collaboratively together. So it was super easy to um, start this new program with the support of the National Writing Project. And the Scholastic people, of course, they're they're great to work with. They really value creative teens and their writing and their art. Do you see any other future collaboration between um, the Writing Project and Scholastic and their Youth Alliance? Yeah, there's, um, as this program showed, there's much potential for that. And there are local sites who, you know, partner with national parks to get students out and writing. I think you know that the last two weeks, write out has been happening. And the National Day on Writing was Wednesday. There were lots of collaborative um, youth writing activities for that as well. So yeah, you know, it's hard to say, you know, someone creative like you, um, who has a teaching conundrum to solve, you know, sharing it out with your National Writing Project colleagues, um, you just never know where um, that will end up. I, but there's great potential for innovation. So something's still coming to the back of my mind, and I think it's because it's um, been bothering me for such a long time. And it's what you had to say about bringing in those outside experts into um, the state of Alaska to lead education. Now that's not unique to Alaska at all. That's also happening here in North Dakota. And then I'm, I'm speaking with you and I've had the chance to speak with other incredible educators on this podcast. And I know that you have actually um, went to the legislator and have helped secure funds for the writing project. Why do you think that states 
are looking at these outside corporations rather than their local grassroots experts for um, helping Title I schools or helping at-risk schools succeed? <laughs> Lisa, I wish I knew the answer to that question for sure, but I have some speculations. Um, with the big um, testing industry has come, you know, a lot of uh, fear about student performance and, um, and also funding, you know, tied to that. And there are lots of companies who would like a piece of that pie and they're great at marketing their materials and programs um, to districts and schools. So uh, it's really important to look beneath the marketing materials and to recognize that when it comes to the teaching of writing specifically, that there is not a magic bullet or a book you can buy and follow or a recipe that's going to work with every kid. Um, you know, just like you were saying how your understanding of writing kind of changed from this step-by-step -step process that would result in a certain product to the recognition that it's complex with a variety of skills and a student has to learn how to suss out the rhetorical situation of each writing activity. You know, what is my purpose here? Who is the audience I'm speaking to? What is my role in speaking to this audience? What are the rhetorical strategies that would be the best choice in this particular situation? Those um, that, you know, big Rubik's cube of individual choices that a human being makes when putting together um, an individual piece of writing, it's complicated and there isn't a single pro one program um, that is going to help students do that. It's, it's very much a handcrafted um, situation, which I think people can understand. And that's why with the National Writing Project, we don't endorse any set of textbooks or any, you know, program that you can buy, we believe in investing in teachers because teachers are the professionals who can make those decisions that are right for each individual child. And I think recognizing that is, is key to um, figuring out what the resources are locally and, and believing in teachers. If we took all that money that was given to these big corporations and all the money spent on tests and increased teacher salaries and provided them with the support they needed to do their jobs well, um, we would have a completely different school system. Yes, okay, yes. So this has been troubling me and you just put all the words to it that I, I very strongly believe because, um, so I work at a Title I school and we currently have this outside corporation that comes in and um, does professional development with us, but it's not—it's not something that I would really call professional development. It's um, more we want you to make these very detailed lesson plans, and this will improve your teaching. Or oh, here is this um, reading program. If you implement this, it will improve your teaching. And it was very much not understanding what our roles as um, teachers in North Dakota are. I don't just teach one class, then I just reteach it all day where a detailed lesson plan would maybe be useful for that. Cause maybe I forget by fourth period what I said during first period. So yeah, maybe that would be helpful. <laughs> but I, I don't. So what they were asking was for me to create these 30 lesson plans at every week. And I was like, nope, <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. And they, they just thought that was the most ridiculous thing that I could have said in response. And then um, he and I were talking about different literacy um, ideas for the classroom. And I'm like, naming off, you know, Jan Birkins, Nancy Frey, um, Jeffrey Wilhelm, you, Kel Saucy, and you're writing on demand. They didn't know any of those people because before they got into their practice, they hadn't been part of these local um, or statewide 
teaching organizations that help give them and help invest time in them developing their knowledge and the experts of the area. And um, oh, this I sounds really tremendously busy. frustrating, Lisa. Yes. Oh my gosh. Because, oh, this is where I was building to. So I have now discovered just how much money um, they make coming into schools that are Title I schools. And um, a senior program director, so that's someone who is in charge of these um, professional development leaders, it's about five of them, they make $90,000 each year. And I'm thinking, wow, so they make 90,000, the people working underneath them, they gotta be making around like 60,000. So this group of six people is making what about 10, 15 teachers in North Dakota could be making. And what if we took that money and instead of giving it to these outside corporations that don't understand North Dakota, don't understand rural teachers like Kim Donhauer, she understands us. She's led that summer institute. You understand you taught in Fairbanks, Alaska. Can't get much more rural in that area. <laughs> um, you have to wait on a plane <laughs> to get any contact. And I, I just think it's a it's a disservice that to our teachers and to our state and to our students on where could that money be best allocated to achieve the type of student achievement, teacher achievement, state achievement that that I think all of us want for for each other and for especially our youth. I mean, man, you could fund some. Montessori elementary schools with all of that money. Yeah, well, and programs. Um, other countries have have made those kinds of choices. I'm sure that you know you've heard about Finland and their amazing results. And one of the things that they do is they recruit the best and brightest into the profession profession of teaching, and they pay them. Um, you know in a, according to that um according to their skills in education and they're well paid they're trusted as professionals to make decisions and yeah um lisa i will vote for you um as superintendent um to make these systemic changes that you are interested in making so keep working on your phd and learning from the students in your classroom, you're doing awesome work. And I just really appreciate it. I, so several times I said very vocally <laughs> to, to the people near me um, about how I think if we had a writing project person as our superintendent of education for North Dakota, that we would have been so much better off than um, a teacher who hasn't been in it because there is a difference, I think. It's, and it's what you've said here, it's, which is that connection. Um, when we're struggling, we don't struggle alone. We struggle by pulling on our monstrous spider web and we're constantly in communication with one another. And we also honor all of the voices in that giant spider web. So if it was a writing project person, I think anyway, <laughs> I think if they had been in that situation that Kirsten Baszler unfortunately found herself in, because, oh my gosh, who, who could predict such an event happening, that you wouldn't have only have been seeing that one writing project person helping educators in the United States. You would have been seeing a gigantic network pulling together to um, help the rural teachers um, create some kind of system of working together. And I mean, I can't fault Kirsten Baszler because how does she know that there's this amazing professional development program with all of these amazing people in it? But I do think that it would be great if our state government recognized that these 
East Coast and West Coast corporations with all of their technology, they have some good qualities, but it won't replace the expertise that we have here in North Dakota with professional development organizations that are as rich in research development as our writing projects are. Um, but yeah. Yeah, and when we invest our resources in local teachers, um, that investment stays here in North Dakota, right? It doesn't go and take that $90,000 somewhere else. Um, it stays here. So you had asked me about how the Red River Valley Writing Project is funded, and it's, it's a complex equation. Um, we um, do receive uh, some funding from North Dakota Department of Public Instruction. We receive some support from NDSU as our host institution. Um, they provide a course release to the site director space for our library where we have, you know, lots of resources and, um, you know, just some institutional support um, in terms of publicity, mailings, and et cetera. Um, that's really important. But those are really kind of the, the starting points for our writing project. We also um, work very hard to go out and um, compete for grants. So um, in the 10 years that I've worked with the Red River Valley Writing Project, we've received 35 of 36 grants that we've applied for, for a total of over $750,000. And um, that's a, a really great success rate. And one reason for it is that um, we work collaboratively on these grant proposals usually. Um, we're a great collaborator, collaborator with other organizations. Um, if someone is trying to make some changes in education and they need somebody to address the writing, we're a great partner in, with those other grant writers. Uh, and also, we have such a great track record. Our data in terms of the success of our programs is so strong that that makes us quite fundable. And then, of course, the National Writing Project um, has been successful in going for some really large I-3 grants and then has passed on the opportunity to apply for subcontracts of those grants to individual sites. Um, and we have a few individual people who donate to the writing project as well. And, and we're always very happy to receive those funds. Um, but that, that gives you some idea of, of what our funding is like. And the vast majority of the money we raise goes into stipending teachers for pursuing their own professional development during time when they are not on contract. Um, that's why teachers are so busy in the summer. They're um, pursuing uh, professional activities, improving their teaching, and we believe teachers should be stipended for that work. I thought it was one of the most wild experiences when I went to a professional development and you guys handed me a W4 or W some kind of form for me to fill out and that you guys were going to pay me money for doing this extra work. And then you were like, well, also we're gonna give you some books that are um, focused on developing you teaching literacy to students. And it just seemed like it was wrong, but it felt so good <laughs> to, <laughs> to have been, it was like, wow, they really think I am someone. I have them fooled. <laughs> um, but well, let's yeah. be honest. Lisa, it is expensive. Yeah, teachers are under, underpaid, and we're kind of like the Peter Pan, you know, we're um, reallocating resources um, where they should be um, for teachers to really engage deeply with their practice. So, yeah. Yeah, it really does feel like engaging deeply. I. I, um, you guys had mentioned the Pose Wobble Flow book um, during the College Career and Community Writers Program professional development. And I have been reflecting on that for the past, I think, four years now about how I have adapted my teaching to do these different poses. And when I'm struggling with them, I recognize it as a wobble. 
like okay I'm not good at this yet and we all wobble <laughs> yeah wobbling but I will find my flow and it's helped me um especially since I had been an English teacher prior to being a sixth grade teacher teaching science social studies and math it's helped me understand and not hurt myself by saying mean things about myself like oh I'm a bad social studies teacher or science teacher I I am a lot more accepting like no I'm in a pose and I'm just wobbling sometimes I fall down and um yeah and weebles yeah. wobble but they don't fall down yes <laughs> <laughs> well Kel Saucy, it has been an absolute joy speaking to you. And if you guys didn't know this, she was Thank my you. advisor for both my bachelor's and master's degree. I hadn't realized when I had her as an advisor, just how incredible and noteworthy she was in the education profession. Like I said on the podcast, she wrote the book, Writing on Demand which is an essential read if you want your students to succeed, not only on those high stakes tests with the ACT or the North Dakota State Assessment, but it's also for those real life applications. Sometimes a funeral comes up, you're not planned for that, you gotta write something quickly so that you can say something meaningful because otherwise that moment's gone and you never get that chance back. Um, and recognizing now just how fortunate I was to have had someone of her skill and notoriety um, being my advisor for my educational experience just really helps frame the incredible depth that we have here in North Dakota for educators in all. I want to thank you so much for lending your expertise, your time, um, all of the resources that you have just been so willing to share throughout this entire podcast. Um, I am incredibly grateful for you and to you and everyone who's been willing to share about their teaching groups, their North Dakota teaching groups on this podcast. Uh, do you have any social media information that our listeners should check out if they are interested? Absolutely. So the Red River Valley Writing Project has an Instagram page with our full name. And we also have a Facebook page called the Red River Valley Writing Project. Um, you can check out our tweets at RRVW Project. And um, yeah, um, I encourage all of the Writing Project teachers in the site to engage with our social media and tweet out what they're doing in their classrooms. Um, Post Summer Institute, we love um, hearing from our alums of the Summer Institute and keeping those teacher leaders engaged. And Lisa, it's really been a pleasure talking with you. And I feel like we kind of solve some of those big problems in education. If only, if only we could um, bring those ideas to fruition, but we will just keep um, working within our spheres of influence to make change and to support students and teachers as writers writing together and changing the world. Mm -hmm.